I would like to welcome everybody to the House of Bricks podcast, where we are teaching people to use life's experiences for them. And I say this now every episode, I'm one of those podcast hosts that says, I'm very excited about today's guest. He's a very special guest, but this guy has the answer that many, many people want to know, which is, can Adam House really play basketball? And I'm not going to have you answer that yet. We're going to talk about it later on. But I would like to welcome a great friend of mine, helped me accomplish a lifelong dream that I could not have done without him. Bobby Martin, welcome to the House of Bricks podcast. My brother from another mother, Adam House. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I couldn't ask for a better guest than to have you on. So you and I, we met, what was it, about 2011. I had just sold my mobile tech company and I did what all 32-year-old six-foot white guys want to do, which is play professional basketball. And so I got connected to you actually from Vince Carter's agent, Merle Scott, who I met in Miami. He's known me for a long time. He knew I was crazy enough to do it. He said, I'm going to introduce you to a guy that's equally as crazy as you are. You got to meet this guy, Bobby Martin. So I reached out to Bobby showed up at the gym in Waltham. So, Bobby, I want you to walk us through your first impression of me when I came through the door. Okay, so being fair, first impression was this guy's nuts. Um, he may be six feet tall. I, I'm, I'm not sure where his game is, but this is a goal worth going for. I didn't think it was worth going for for me because I, I like challenges, but I was not sure that you were going to accomplish anything. It's just, it was a long road to travel, Adam. I appreciate the honesty now, and I'm glad you didn't tell me that when we met. But I was determined I was going to make it happen anyway. So, so Bobby, love to hear a little bit about you. I know you very well, but our listeners don't. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your journey as a basketball player, and what you're up to now. So my upbringing, I was born and raised in Atlantic City, New Jersey. I was raised by my grandmother. She was born in 1924. She raised me in the church. She believed in sparing the rod would spoil the child. So needless to say that her favorite phrase was, you know, I'm going to work on your behind until your head does right. <laughs> she also held a 22 caliber pistol in her drawer. Once told me, and I remember it vividly, she said, baby, you're getting too big for me to beat. I'm going to have to shoot you. So that's the woman I was raised by. And she needed to be so that she wouldn't lose me to the streets of Atlantic City. She was, uh, she was very instrumental. Now, she was the instrument, and she surrounded me with people who would help further my life. She put me in drama class when I was little. So, you know, basketball wasn't my first love. It was actually drama class. So I learned how to articulate myself. I learned how to express emotions, how to empathize with other people. And I fell in love with basketball. I was fortunate enough to graduate. McDonald's All-American, so I was one of the top 20 in, in the nation in high school. Um, I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh, hailed to Pitt, and I was able to play professionally in Europe for almost 20 seasons. I've had a wonderful career, and right now what I get a chance to do is I get a chance to give back um, the lessons that I've learned. Um, it started off as a business helping athletes accomplish their dreams on a basketball court and physically, and I think that now I've I've transitioned from soloist to more to conductor. Um, I'm helping a lot of kids right now just figure out who they are. And basketball is my tool 
to help them. You know, it's something that we all love, we all share in common. But you know, the letters that I get from parents, I share them with my wife and you know, my wife starts crying because of the impact that, you know, the physical training is fine, but it's more emotional piece to help the kids figure out, to see, you know, what stones they can step on, you know, to keep moving across an ocean that's, you know, full of turbulence. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I love what I'm doing. People can't tell how big you are on a screen, you know, but you're a giant human being, six foot 10, you know, hands like a bear. So I can imagine the pistol at some point was the only way to, to keep someone of your size and stature in line. And, and secondly, I would love to see you in drama class. So <laughs> any of those videos surface up, I, I'd love to see those. So you're, you're in high school. You're a McDonald's All-American, again, top 20 in the country. Right now, I know you're helping coach and develop high school athletes. What is the thing that you see as kind of the big differentiating factor in those top 20 athletes versus the 200 and below? Is it athleticism? Is it mindset? Is it work ethic? Like, what do you see stand out? Well, it's definitely not work ethic. I believe that if you're out there, you're out there to play. So talent plays a big part in it. Exposure is another large piece of it. Um, it's just not everything. You know, I see great athletes. When I was growing up in Atlantic City, the best basketball players never made it to college or their careers were cut short because I think we all know that character protects your talent. If you don't grow with your, your personal growth, it's really hard to continue once you get to the level where other players are as talented as you are. And we have a lot of parents that listen to our podcast. They're raising athletes. I'm raising athletes myself. When you and I were growing up, we never had private lessons. We never had trainers. It was like, go, go, go into the backyard and put a broom on a chair and like shoot jumpers over, <laughs> over the broom. Do you think that parents today are investing too much into their kids? Is it too much personalized training and not letting them? fall in love with the game? Like, what, what do you see with, with these parents and athletes? So what I see, the biggest problem I see is that the kids never learn to develop the light that's within them. What they're trying to do is they're more in tune with the lights that surround them. It's that question of safetyism. Is my kid safe? Is my kid being looked at? And honestly, I've got two daughters right now and, you know, 13 and 10. And when I look at the world, I've got to look at it through their eyes, not mine. You know, okay, you know, this was me back in the day. I would have done this or I wouldn't have done that. Honestly, I've, I've got to close my eyes and, and, and just listen to them. And because I don't need them being safe, I need them being strong. And I don't see that type of strength from the kids today. It's more of a, a generation that is basically lets their control their action. And, you know, I think the coaches we had were like, yeah, damn your feelings. Get out here and get it done. And that's what we learned. Yeah. And there's nothing to say about that. You know, every generation runs from one side of the boat to the other, right? Our generation, it was like, feelings aren't facts. Get out there, run till you puke, and I'll yell at you because you didn't puke enough. That was what we we grew up with. And now it's like we're doing meditation before basketball games or and nothing wrong with that i i think it does help you get in the right mindset but the point is i think we've gone too far to the other side and everything is about how you feel and so you know i'm hoping we'll find some 
some balance there because you know when we were growing up as athletes it was just play to the death like that's how we we thought about life whether it was pickup basketball throwing quarters in a cup like it's uh, i'm gonna win at whatever we're doing whatever the cost and we talked about your high school career highly recruited you go to pittsburgh how was your career there normal stuff you know you score over a thousand points um you know i was selected all big east Got hurt my senior year. I sat out more than half of the season and came back during the Big East tournament. To make a long story short, I wasn't drafted. While after my junior year, I was projected to be a first-round pick. So dealt with a lot of pain. The whole world answered my question in complete silence, or at least the NBA did. That was tough, man. That was really tough. And it had taken me probably until the second part of my professional career until I could forgive myself for not making the NBA. What do you think was the biggest cause of that, not getting drafted? I don't know. I mean, I, I think competency counts. There were players that were better. Um, I hadn't proven enough during my senior year. It's what have you done for me lately? You get injured and you try to make it back. But, you know, it was probably in hindsight, the one of the most important lessons that I've ever learned, that it's, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. It is. And a lot of people say that it's kind of Kobe Bryant has kind of made that a you know big thing to talk about, like enjoying the process. But it is important for people to set goals too, right? I, I tell them, yeah, I'm just grinding every day. Well, why are you doing that? Do you have like a goal you're trying to achieve? Like, are you trying to build a business? Is it for your family? Like, what is your purpose? So I tell people, it's not just about grinding. It doesn't take a lot of brain power to grind every day. You got to have, have a purpose. And what I tell people is my confidence for me has always been in keeping the commitments that I make to myself. It's never been, hey, I'm going to sell this company for millions of dollars. It's just like, what do I want to do? How am I going to do it? And keep those commitments. And that's what really builds people's self-confidence. So you said it took you a while to recover from that. And people look at the, the highlights of being a professional athlete, you know, McDonald's All-American, playing at a great D1 school, but not a lot of people talk about the dark side of being an athlete, right? When you meet those moments of failure, what were some of the things that you thought about when you didn't get drafted? Did you think about not playing? No, I thought about continuing to play. You know, I had an agent at the time and, you know, he was telling me, look, there's, you know, what was called the CBA back then, um, which is now the NBA G League, that I could go in and I could prove myself and hopefully an NBA team would call me up. I think that's the dream that they sell mo or the vision that they sell most of the players. The thing about the G League is if you're in there for more than two years, your chances of being called up are slim and none. So then you look to go to Europe. But unfortunately, in Europe, what you have is former first round picks or NBA veterans who are at the end of their career or picks that are beginning of their career. And the NBA team has just sent them overseas. So my feelings at the time, I think I was young and dumb enough not to not to feel that bad. What I was what was most painful was the guilt, the guilt that I felt for not having reached my goal in order for me to keep playing. What I had to do was I had to to set personal goals, you know, not the ones that are tangible, you know, how much weight I could lift, but it was the private personal goals I had to learn to reach. Can you share some of those goals with our audience? Sure, absolutely. So one of the goals is, is 
Do not compare yourself to anyone except the person that you were yesterday. We all have different talents, different talent levels, and the idea is to find yours. Go from there. The second one is stop worrying about what you can't. Focus on what you do best. I think for me, it was rebounding the basketball, giving us a second chance. Now, yes, you are going to fall, but if you fall, fall forward. You are going to make mistakes. Try not to make the same mistake twice. Okay. (laughs) You have to stick to it because life, ball doesn't teach you about life. Life teaches you about life. Those are the two main points that I would, I would try to share with everyone. And you've made kind of a transition into the business world, which we'll get into, but the takeaway there, right. And I've, I've actually heard you say this. I think it was your Now I'm quoting your grandma, but be yourself because everyone else is taken or something. Everyone else is taken. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I still, that stuck with me. And I actually say that to my boys now. They don't listen, but at least try to get some of this this into their brain. So being an elite college player, going over to Europe, what country did you play in first and how long were you there? So the first country I played in was France. I went to France. Signed a nice contract, took my girlfriend at the time, who ended up being my wife, with me. Said, hey, we're making more than a doctor would make in a year. Come on with me. Man, they cut my butt so fast. I was done by Christmas. You know, all the money that I thought I was going to make wasn't there. And I had to learn how to start over again, begin again. Um, After France, I learned a lesson the CBA. The following year, I went to Spain. And I stayed in Spain for the better part of 15 years. I was extremely grateful and I was extremely focused. So Spain was where I spent most of my career. There was a short stint in Turkey for a minute. I'd had a great year in Spain and Turkey started paying everybody. So everybody from Spain left to go to Turkey. (laughs) And uh, when those checks dried up, went right back to Spain. Okay. So when you got cut in France, was it a skill thing? Or was it you weren't ready for that level? I'm sure it was a combination of many things. As, as, we, as we mature, we get better. It was my first experience. There were veterans there who were frankly better than I was. You know, it was funny because in Europe, I go to vet camp and I meet this guy. His name is Adrian Caldwell. He was a monster, okay? Played with the Houston Rockets and a couple of other teams. So I end up going to France and they replaced me with him. I'm standing there in practice. He walks in the gym. I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I came to replace you. <laughs> what? <laughs> so he was better than I was. You know, they needed something else. They didn't need a, a kid with no experience or with very little experience. And we were losing games. So, you know, I, I, the coach wasn't going anywhere. So it was going to be me. Lesson learned. And I don't think people understand like how cutthroat minor league sports can be. There was no Bobby Martin going away party on Friday where they got you a birthday cake. It was, hey, I'm your replacement. Pack your bags, right? It was quick. It was. And they told me in French. (laughs) They bought the ticket in during practice. Said, look, you are out of here tomorrow. Pack your things. You know, thank you for coming in. And uh, that was my first taste of the real world, because in college, you've got a soft pillow to land on. You know, if something goes wrong in the minor leagues, the pillow wasn't as soft, but you still had a nice bed of flowers while somebody else would pick you up. But when you decide to go to Europe, 
oh, you can cancel Christmas if you get it wrong. And oh, so grow up really quickly. And so you, you've had a lot of success. Obviously, I'm doing anything professionally for, for 20 years. It was an incredible accomplishment. And the folks of our podcast, obviously geared towards business leaders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and there's been a big rise in executive coaching, personal coaching, trainers, specializing in whatever you're trying to do, you can get coaching anywhere. What is it in your mind that, or maybe something that you saw from one of your coaches that really stood out as good characteristics and what makes a good coach? Wow, that's a great question. I would say that it's twofold. One, they had to have gone through something. And uh, two, they were there to listen to me. They didn't give me advice. They helped me. They helped me find my own voice. It got to the point where, especially as a pro athlete, you see so much out here that, and you automatically give into it. Okay, yes, I believe this. Yes, I believe that. But my coaches forced me to earn the right to have an idea to fight back to, and the biggest thing was, is they convinced me to fight myself. You know, I've got plenty of voices going on in my head and, you know, it, they just, they didn't come together in a way that made sense. So I would say that one, they've got to be empathetic. Uh, and two, they have to be able to listen enough to allow you to find your answer. That's great advice. It's, it's listening and finding someone with experience. So I see a lot of coaches out there. Everyone has a gimmick on social media of how to 10X your business or whatever, but I'm looking for people that have accomplished where I'm trying to go in some fashion. It's got to be, they have the real world experience. I think that, you know, that's so important because you think about guys like Michael Jordan, why would he, who could teach him anything about basketball? Right. Like, what, what are you going to teach him about basketball? But it took someone like Phil Jackson to make all the pieces fit together and give that objective view. So no matter how good you are in whatever area of life, it always helps to have outside perspective and outside counsel of someone that can can speak into your life. And so I'm going to get to my favorite part of this podcast. So I'm 32 years old. I show up at this random gym in Boston. I meet you. Talk to me a little bit about what was going through your mind. We talked about, obviously, your long shot perspective of reading a book by its cover, the six foot, you know, 32 year old white guy. But your mind changed at all as we started working together? Like, did you actually believe it was possible after we started or? What I believed at the time was when I first saw you, I did, I did not think it was possible, okay? Um, but I was willing to try. Barely six feet, all right, in my estimation. I can't tell heights now anyway. You know, I'm a just, solid six, yeah. Dude, if you're not six nine, I don't know. Uh, the people ask me, <laughs> I don't know how tall they are, okay? But once I saw your work ethic, I thought, okay, all right, for you trying to get this, you were gonna be stronger and you weren't gonna give up, all right? Then I knew that there was a chance. Then you kept getting better. I said, oh, shit, he gets it. I gave you a real chance because I, as I remember, man, you were, go, you were going through it, man. This was, okay, so you had, first you had to get in shape. Then, you know, you were asking about diet and you stuck to the diet. I mean, you started looking good. This level of, this level of commitment is positive. 
he's got a chance. And I'll be damned. You turn around and did it, man. I said, wow, he did it. I mean, it was it was great watching watching the process unfold. You know, I mean, really, to me, that's how it is. Right. You you, you set a dream, you set a goal or it doesn't matter if you get there, but you got to aim high enough to to give yourself a chance. You know, most people don't reach their dreams because they don't. One of the reasons I should say is because they don't reach high enough. And you were going as high as you possibly could, my man. That was uh, <laughs> that was a worthy goal. And again, it's um, it's a story for the ages. That was an excellent job. You got me so motivated right now. I'm going to make another comeback. I'm so <laughs> pumped up right now. I'm only 45. You know, it's still possible. I, I, I Adam think- Foreman. exactly yeah i did not name all my kids george though so (laughs) then then didn't take it that far uh so i remember battling in the gym every day we had nick the guy from alaska kid from saint bonaventure and then i started battling against you and dominant no i'm just kidding your son came to play and train. I was lighting him up nonstop, but he was only 12 at the time. So <laughs> how old was he? He was like 14, 15. Yeah, he was probably a freshman or I think a freshman or sophomore in high school, somewhere around there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was a good time. Yeah, I, I, I wish you I, wouldn't have told me that because I was like, oh, I'm, beat him up. I, I'm, you beat I'm him killing up. this guy. He was good. No, he was good. But he needed to learn some lessons, and uh, you were just the guy to do it. I remember him trying to stop Dad, I can't get to him. He knows more than you do. He's stronger than you. Get better. You know, and uh, you drove him into the Navy. That's what you did. <laughs> so tell, tell us about your son. So I know he played in college. You mentioned the Navy. I want to hear all about that. So he graduated from Rice University. He graduated during the COVID year. COVID sent him for a loop. Um, he worked in a nonprofit for a while and just didn't like it. He came to me one day and said, Dad, I, I can't take the lack of a structure. So he said he couldn't take the lack of structure. So he said, I want to enlist. I said, enlist? <laughs> you got two, deg- two degrees from Rice. What are you doing? He said, no, Dad, I need to. So, again, he enlisted. He went in to the Navy. He worked his butt off to train for it. And, you know, now he's there. He was he's working on being a Navy SEAL. So I know he's nuts. Um, he probably gets some of that from you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And honestly, as a parent, it scares me to death. I don't want anybody coming to my house with a flag to my door, but it's his life. It's his journey. And I've, I've got to let him do it. And I let him do it willingly. Gave him a hug. Tell him I love you. Do what you got to do to protect yourself, you know, to get in character. Thank you, and uh, I'll, I'll see you when you get back. So, you know, I keep in touch with him every three weeks or so. Again, it still hurts, but again, you know, it's 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 his journey. So, out there who's praying, please keep him in your prayers. For sure, we will. And he's a great kid. I, you know, definitely enjoyed spending time with him. And you know, you have to be proud as a dad, right? serving our country. And I know there's some, some fear and risk involved, but it's quite an honor to serve our country. You know, I am proud of him. The best thing he said to me was the most meaningful thing he said to me was his dad. They love me here. They love my discipline. All the things that you were telling me, all the things that we fought through, this is what they're telling me here. 
And I said, you know what, that's great. Because it was, you know, it was rough as he was growing up. One time I had to go up to a school and basically choke him because he wasn't handling his assignments. I took my hand, I wrapped it around his neck, and I said, boy, I will bury you. You don't come here and show your ass. This is, you know, you got my name, all right? And he got it right. He got it right, and I am so proud of that young man. He's, he's, he's matured. He knows his direction, and he's going for it. And so you mentioned that carrying your name. Did he feel any pressure growing up because of your basketball career, and how did you help him deal with that as a parent? So he did feel the pressure. It didn't, I don't think he felt it as much when he was younger, but as he got older and he was looking to get a college scholarship, he would go on his visits and now they allow, you know, they allow the parents to come on a visit. So I went on almost every visit with him and it was tough for him because they started talking about my career because the coaches still know me. And uh, he's like, dad, they're talking about you. I said, look, man, get used to it. I'm better than you are. <laughs> you know, we laughed about it, but uh, you know, it was what it was. He, he found his way. There are tough things that we've got to swallow, but I'll tell you what, he was a much better all-around player than I was in college, and he did extremely well for himself. Now just kind of transitioning, you, you had a great career as a professional basketball player. I know you have your training company now. You're doing some coaching. One of the things I always respect about the athletes that are able to have a career after being an athlete, because it's tough. You change a profession, whatever you're doing for X amount of time, it's a different mindset. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you've made that transition into being an entrepreneur? So the transition is tough. Everything, everything that I was reaching towards had to do with something physical. And now I'm stepping into an arena that has who I am instead of, you know, the physical things that I could accomplish. Um, I've been lucky enough to have mentors. I'm still learning. I'm finding out what I'm weak at. I'm building on what I'm strong at. And it is by no means over. It's just, again, transition from teaching physically do something to helping them mentally break through to the point where they get to, they get to learn how to validate themselves. That takes me having to do more research, having to grow, having to learn more having to confront my own biases because of the way that I did it. And honestly, I mean, I watched your podcast. I saw the, 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 the guy from the Navy, the, the Navy SEAL that you had on. You know, one of the things that he said was, is in the Navy, or I'm sorry, in the services, leaders have to admit that they're wrong, right? So now I've got to admit to myself and to others when I'm wrong about something, you know what, I, I made a mistake here. Let's start over. Let's try this. It's tough, man. My goal is to be the guy that goes, the ex-player that goes around the colleges, not talking about the bling and everything else, but the most important things on how do you find yourself? Because one day the basketball is going to stop bouncing. I want to get in depth about who they need to become, not who they were. And is your clientele now mostly high school students or tell us about, about the business? <laughs> So now, yes. So I just, I just created another LLC. It's called Rhythm and Cues. It's, again, the business has transformed. They are mostly high school athletes. I just got a deal done with the city, and I'm going to be starting a program with them as far as 
self-awareness for our younger kids. You know, because right now, I believe uh, it was the WHO that said that the instances of of uh, mental mental illness. What's the word I'm looking for? The uh, you know, as far uh, depression, right? The things like depression and suicide have gone up 25 percent. So it's not about reaching the kids when they get older. You got to reach them when they're younger. But now we're trying to set something up where we can get the kids out of the classroom who are interested in learning more about themselves. And regardless of the sport they play, or they may not play a sport at all. This is what I want to do now. So it requires a lot of reading, a lot of sharing with them my own faults so that they can understand where I'm coming from, that I am one of them. And it's going well so far. You know, I think we're, we're going to start sometime this fall and so looking forward to it. Well, you mentioned that recognizing your faults, right? And, and that is really what the House of Bricks podcast is all about, is using life's experiences for you as an athlete or in business, you fail every day. And it's how you interpret those failures, that is what's going to determine your outcome, whether you're successful or not, is really how you're processing the journey. And so, Bobby, I want to thank you for being on the House of Bricks podcast. Love spending time with you. You're one of my favorite human beings of all time. So I woke up this morning, told Vanessa, I said, I can't wait to do the podcast with Bobby today. So I appreciate your impact in my life and the difference that you're making in the lives of the next generation, because I have three teenage boys right now and the stuff that they're facing and encountering and the pressure, social media, exposure, being an athlete, all those different things, the, the things that they're having to carry as a teenager, things that we can barely handle as, uh, are, are we middle-aged now, 45, middle-aged, depends on- Man, Absolutely, I am yeah. middle-aged and I'm just happy I'm here. I'm from Atlantic City, New Jersey. I'm not supposed to be. <laughs> yes, and loving every bit of it. <laughs> I'm not, well, great. Well, thank you again for, for sharing with us. It was really informative for our audience. If this podcast made an impact in your life, I would encourage you to share it with people you know, because you never can anticipate the ripple effect that you can have in someone else's life. It could be an encouraging word. It could be an inspiring story. And that's really what this podcast is about us to inspire our listeners to really enjoy every moment of every day and press on towards our goal. So thank you, Bobby, for being a guest on the House of Bricks. Thank you for having me, brother. Love you, man. Good to see you.